1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise. Imagine if you can, if you could only see wild animals by looking at pictures in a book. Imagine New Bedford in southeastern Massachusetts without a zoo. Today we want to open your eyes and tell you all about the wonderful treasures known as the Buttonwood Park Zoo. So welcome to MoneyWise and good morning and thank you so much for listening. This morning we're going to depart from our usual format. We're going to talk about some financial topics relating to charitable giving. But we're also going to be talking about the Buttonwood Park Zoo. Is that the proper name? That is the proper name. And we have two very special guests with us this morning. We have Keith Lovett, who's the director of our zoo, our lovely, wonderful zoo, in Paula Montgomery. And Paula, tell me again what your position is. I think you're director of community engagement and capital campaign. Is that part of what you do? It is. Okay. It is. But you are also handling, uh, or you work on the financial side or the nonprofit side. I do. I work for the Buttonwood Park Zoological Society, which is the nonprofit um, that supports the mission of the Buttonwood Park Zoo. So we fund a lot of the educational programming programming that happens at the zoo. We run the um, family events as well as the um, over 21 events and all the different activities that take place at the zoo, as well as membership. Okay, so it's a little complicated, but I'm going to try to unravel some of this. <laughs> sure. But you actually uh, work on the nonprofit side then. Well, the, the whole zoo is nonprofit to begin with. But it is a 501c3 organization, which means most importantly that people can donate money to the zoo and get a tax deduction. Yes. Including IRA funds and everything else. And So, I mean, the zoo is actually kind of unique in the sense that a portion of the zoo or about half the zoo is under the city of New Bedford. So there is a municipal component to the zoo, um, which is mostly the operation side, some of the animals, maintenance, um, horticulture, grounds of the zoo. And then there's the Bunwood Park Zoological Society, whose mission is to support more than anything else the programs of the zoo, and that's education, conservation, and some of the animal care. So there is the municipal side, but there's also the not-for-profit 501c3 side as well, which is the zoo. Society. Okay, so how does how does the municipal side work, Keith? Is there any committee of the city council, for example, that interacts with the zoo? So there's not a direct oversight from the city council from a day-to-day operations. Um, in my position, I am a direct report to Mayor Mitchell. Of course, we work the city council um, because they have a vested interest into the zoo, which, which is a huge community asset. But from a budgetary standpoint, from a capital funding standpoint, um, that is more of our interaction with the city council. Um, but direct report and direct day-to-day operations falls under the uh, mayor's office. So first of all, to let me understand this a little bit more in our listeners, the whole Buttonwood Park, obviously, is city property. It has a lot of aspects to it besides just the zoo. But therefore, the zoo is part of city-owned property. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So all the buildings and the structures and so forth are owned by the city? All the assets on the zoo, including the land, um, are the have the ownership of the, the city. They are city assets. Okay. So I'm going to do this in a real broad brush form. How is the zoo supported financially? I assume you get contributions and memberships and admissions. Mm -hmm. Um, You must get some grants, I assume, Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. But do you get direct city funding? Yes. So there's direct city funding um, that comes through the city budget. It is part of the zoo is one of the departments 
in the city. So it's direct funded from the city. Um, the zoo is actually the 12th oldest zoo in the country, so it's been around for a long time. Good. Um, we're going to be celebrating our 125th anniversary next year. Wonderful. So for a long time, um, the city, the mayor's office, city council, for many, many um, administrations have believed that the zoo is an incredible community asset. Oh, it is. So as a community asset, not only from an entertainment standpoint, but also from an education standpoint, from a conservation standpoint, um, and from a nature standpoint, um, the city has determined that this is an asset they're going to be contributing to on an annual basis. Good. Excellent. The Zoological Society um, sole purpose is to support the programs of the zoo, and they do it very effectively. So okay. there is a lot of difference. So we, in addition to the city support, there are earned revenue programs of the society, um, which, which they raise money, and Paula can talk about that. So there's their earned revenue programs from everything from memberships to gift, gift shop operations to food services. And there's also the contributed aspect of the society as well, where they are fundraising for the operations of the zoo. Good. Well, we're talking this morning with Keith Lovett, who's the zoo director, and Paula Montgomery, who's on the – how can I describe you best, Paula? In ter- so, again, working for the nonprofit. Your, that your support- position, that is. Yes, that supports the zoo. Uh, my position really is about community engagement, so everything from donor engagement, getting folks to understand that – um, there is a need to support this incredible community asset that, that Keith um, described. And in over the years, people we hear people say, oh, my God, the zoo has changed so significantly. Well, a lot of that change has come because of the Zoological Society. There our ability to raise additional funds to support the zoo um, in from, from an educational perspective, but also from family activities. So my position really does oversee all of the fundraising operations. Of okay. course, there are staff that work with, with me and um, do an amazing job in putting on incredible events. As Keith mentioned, we have a gift store, we have a cafe, our membership program. So there are lots of staff that um, that help support the operations of the Zoological Society. And our, our um, you know, forward-facing message and miss- mission of supporting education. Well, before I forget, and I don't want to go too far in the program without saying this, I'm just really understanding the operation of this for the first time right now. And I want to say a special thank you to Mayor Mitchell and to the entire city council and certainly to the public at large and the membership for supporting this wonderful operation. Let me tell you briefly how the show came about today. About three weeks ago, I went with my six-year-old grandson and my daughter and my wife, and we went to visit the zoo. We thought it would be a fun thing to do in the afternoon. And I frankly hadn't been for a couple of years. I've been with other grandchildren in the past. And I was absolutely amazed, impressed, blown away. I, I couldn't believe the quality of what we saw and, and how much fun it was. It was relaxing. I didn't remember the aquarium exhibit, but mm-hmm. that's probably – how long has that been there, Keith? So there's two areas that we have aquatic displays, um, aquarium displays. Um, the l- newest one, the largest one, um, opened last July. So it's been there for about a year. Okay. So it is fairly new. Yes, It's very impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear this from me many times today. You have to visit the zoo. You have to participate in supporting the zoo. And um, my son, Peter, who's on the show a lot with us and works with me at USA Wealth Group, went there this past weekend. And he said as they were leaving, his five-year-old daughter said, when can we come back again, Daddy? That's wonderful. So that's just a great thing to, to hear. So 
what I've done a couple of times for him, and I forgot this last year, is I've actually uh, paid for a membership for his family. So here's a check for a family membership for Peter Lance and his family. That's and wonderful. Thank you so much. It. They will be there. That's wonderful. And this is a huge part of the support that you mentioned and the community support that we have. Um, we do have um, just over 3,000 membership households um, throughout the community. Good. And, I was um, going to ask that question. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to, to do two things, to enjoy the zoo, as you just described, um, but also to support the work that we do and, um, and our role here as a community asset. You know, I think, so a lot of, I think a lot of people listening today probably have pets in their household, but it's not the same. I mean, I had such a fun time watching the otters swim. Mm-hmm. They're very comical. They're very entertaining. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think they really perform when they see people. Yes. They're very curious. They're very nosy. They come swimming from across their little pond, and they come right up, and they look at you, and then they go upside down backwards and swim back, and they come back. They're, they're entertaining you, uh, and they're great fun to watch. Um, and that's one of the focuses when you're working at a zoo. You want to make sure that the animals you're choosing, there's a reason for them being there. And a lot of times that has to do with the conservation of threatened and endangered species. Mm-hmm. A lot of our mission is focused on um, that aspect of saving animals. But a species like an otter is a species that is great for a zoo because not only is it an incredibly entertaining animal, it's an animal that thrives well being on public display, and it also has a great education message when you start talking about our waterways, our and, you know the pollution and the impacts of human activities on these animals. So you're not only having this entertaining animal that is thriving in a zoological environment, it has a bigger message that we can talk about from a conservation standpoint. And that's you know a lot of the planning and the, that we put into place um, when we're selecting species at the zoo. You know, I was thinking uh, a little bit philosophically, and we'll, we'll get into this question a little bit more. I know sometimes people are critical of zoos mm-hmm. and say that animals should be in the wild. But, you know, if we didn't have a zoo and if kids, adults couldn't see the animals, uh, and we'll talk about the conservation aspect of it in a minute, uh, you wouldn't have any understanding of animals except for looking in a picture book. And that is more of my life. I spend a lot of my time talking about the roles of zoos, and I've done various presentations, TED Talks, what have you. And the first thing I would say is if I had my druthers, there would not be animals in zoos, truthfully. Mm-hmm. If we had wild environments where animals were thriving, where people could see these animals in their habitats were not be taken away, that would be great. But you don't have that situation. You have the situation where our wild places are going away at rapid rates and species are becoming endangered or extinct very quickly. You combine that with the fact that you look at the studies – at least from an American standpoint, and honestly from a world standpoint, we are becoming more and more urbanized. Sure. So the same connection that we would have had from nature and wildlife as growing up as older adults, children don't have that same experience. And in many ways, the only exposure they have to wildlife and scary or the only exposure they have to nature is to come into an organization or come into an institution like the Buttonwood Park Zoo. Mm-hmm. Our program this morning is brought to you by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road. We do retirement planning and financial services. On the other half of the building is Lance Law, Inc., and they do Medicaid planning, nursing home protection, estate planning, and real estate and things of that nature. Um, You know, Paula and Keith, I did a survey in my office recently. I actually didn't do it for this show. I did it for something else. And I wanted to find out how many people in my office – and our offices had animals, had pets. And it was really quite surprising. So we have a total of 14 people 
in our operations. And 11 have home pets. There are 12 cats, 6 dogs, 1 hamster, 2 guinea pigs, and about 20 fish. <laughs> so um, we have a, a goodly share of animals in our mm-hmm. office, and it's kind of fun to do that little survey and realize that. But I think for the most part, people do love animals, mm-hmm. and they like to watch animals. I also enjoyed watching the beavers when I was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. They're swimming across their little stream, yep. carrying sticks in their mouth mm-hmm. and bringing it up. Do they? I, I couldn't see it right, quite around the corner from my angle. Do they actually try to build little dams and things when they're there? It's funny, yes. Uh, historically, more towards as they go in towards winter, they will build their own li- dam in mm-hmm. the habitat as well. Sometimes they, as they've got older, they've got a little bit complacent on their dam building skills. But in general, <laughs> yes, they are still actively building their dams, although I think they've become a little domesticated at this point. So, sort of like people, I guess. <laughs> yes, <right>? yes. <laughs> a lot of parallels. Um, Well, I have a a quote from uh, Jean Cocteau. Uh, I love cats because I enjoy my home, and little by little, they become its visible soul. (laughs) We do appreciate animals, don't we? Absolutely. And um, I I, I have really mixed feelings about somebody uh, like Teddy Roosevelt. On the one hand, I really admired him, but uh, he was very important in this country for conservation and creating national parks. But in the first part of his career, he also just was a merciless hunter mm-hmm. and killed hundreds and if not thousands of animals. Yeah. So I thought of him actually when I read this quotation from Ellen DeGeneres. I asked people why they have deer heads on their walls. They always say because it's such a beautiful animal. And there you go. I think my mother is attractive, but I have photographs of her. <laughs> I thought, well, for somebody who wants to be an animal collector of Animals on the wall. That's a good quotation from her. <laughs> but in the Buttonwood Park Zoo, we get to see animals really in a very good habitat. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I was really impressed about when I went to the zoo a couple of weeks ago was how much space everybody had. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the elephants were, for example, I know there's been criticism of the elephant pens in the past. They were huge. They had all mm-hmm. kinds of space to cross and cross little little brook or a little river kind of a thing and um, I felt that they really had you know lots and lots of space yeah and we have um, we about oh, that was completed about a year ago as well um, we significantly expanded their space we built triple the size of their habitat and as a general rule we are really focusing on what we call animal welfare to really focus on that it is not as how many species we can bring in the zoo, what can we do to provide the best quality of home for the animals that we're bringing there. And a lot of science goes into that. It's not just, hey, let's get this animal. It's based on the need for breeding programs, which are all based on genetic diversity and the genetics of a population. It's based on conservation need. And it's honestly based on animal welfare. We are going to choose species that are going to thrive in our environment in Buttonwood Park Zoo. Mm-hmm. I also, if I can add, sure. Keith's being a little bit modest, too, when you talk about the habitats. He is incredible when it comes to animal welfare. And to the um, design, and Keith, jump in here because I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But if you did notice, as you mentioned, Rainforest Rivers and Reefs, the aquatics building, you noticed that those habitats are all multi-species, and that was very yes. intentional. And now I'm going to toss it back to Keith because he can speak to that. Let me comment on it first sure. because I did notice that. I noticed in the beavers, for example, uh, there were a lot of ducks mm-hmm. in the same habitat with the beavers. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot what else was there. Um, but I noticed that in particular. Mm-hmm. I noticed on the inside where the tropical uh, yep. fish are, um, there were 
There was at least one monkey that I saw up above, and he was in the same space with mm-hmm. the sloth. Mm-hmm. I really like the sloth. I bet everybody loves the sloth. <laughs> we love Bernardo. Bernardo, yes. <laughs> he is a big fan at the zoo. But um, I watched Bernardo, and I wasn't sure that it was he was real or he was just a <laughs> yeah. dummy hanging down there yes. because he wasn't moving because I guess that's what sloths – do or don't do. That's one of the challenges. When you create in complex habitats, stimulating habitats, well, I'm not sure what stimulating is for a sloth in that regard, but when you create these complex, larger habitats, sometimes species like a sloth can get lost in the mix. But that's why it's also very important that we have training programs at the zoo that um, at least once a day we have a training program where the sloth will come down, work, you know, basically tr- um, do husbandry behaviors uh, with keepers in response for positive reinforcement, which is food. So you have to get creative with that as well. When we were building those exhibits, um, the idea of a zoo being a menagerie, that is long gone. The idea that you would just come and gawk at an animal, there would be one animal in a concrete pit, those days are long gone. We wanted to create habitats for animals. And what we're very proud of with regard to Rainforest Rivers and Reefs, the new building, um, particularly on the forest side, is that we didn't just want to create a lush habitat for one animal. We wanted to do a representation of how you would see these animals in the wild. Mm-hmm. So in that particular case, you have these endangered small primates in there, marmosets and tamarins. You have various tropical bird species, you have lizards, you have turtles. Down below, you have different types of tropical fish, which again would be found in their type of habitats. And it provides not only a better visual to the visitor, um, it also provides an educational opportunity and stimulation for the animal. The animal interacts with all these animals. They may not like everyone they live with, but they cohabitate as they would in the wild. Sort of like people. Sort of like people. There's a theme here today. (laughs) Well, I want to come back to the sloth in a minute because I read something about the sloth. First of all, I had already gone through that space, and I was mm-hmm. back outside again. I wanted to go around and take a look at the beavers again mm-hmm. because they were very entertaining. And one of your helpers came by, and you must have a lot of volunteers. They were very friendly, and they were very helpful. So hats off to yes. whoever's been training all of your volunteers. You. They're doing a great job. But somebody was walking through with a bucket of food. She says, we're going to feed the sloth. So I went running back in. I wanted to see the sloth being fed. And she actually got up halfway up Uh in this little tree to reach him because he was up a little higher. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I might want a piece (laughs) of food. (laughs) It's part of the reason that she climbs halfway up to him because if you have to wait for him to come all the way down to you, this is going to be a long wait for the visitors watching on the outside. But I also read something interesting about Bernardo the sloth, and it said you're hoping to get a female sloth Mm -hmm. so you can make more baby sloths. And I couldn't help but thinking, how's that going to (laughs) work? So um, slow moving. Everything in a sloth's life from um, reproduction, repro- but, re- but even just from a digestion standpoint, um, not to get too graphic here, but they basically have they go to the bathroom about once a week. Oh, wow. They come to the ground and go to the bathroom once a week. Um, their gestation is long for an animal of that size, it's usually about 11 months. Hmm. Um, their body temperature is low compared to most mammals, usually it's about 86 degrees. So, everything is, with a sloth is either slow or reduced compared to other mammal species. So they're built for long-term yes. survival. And they can easily live <laughs> into 30, 40 years of age as well. Well, let me ask you what you're going to do on your 125th anniversary. Um, are you going to have a, a zoo parade, for example? 
so there's right now we are in discussions with um, lots of ideas on the table. So I, I can't give you any absolute concrete things, but I can tell you that it will be a year long celebration. Good. Um, in with lots of different things. One of the things that we really do hope to do, though, is to engage the community because this is a community asset, as we've been discussing. Sure it is. We've we've been around for. A very long time. One of the things that is always so neat is when you're in the zoo, and especially when you're over visiting with um, with Emily and Ruth, is you hear generations say, "Well, I was visiting Emily and Ruth when I was a kid, and it's a grandparent telling a grandchild." And um, so we want to capture sort of that history and really celebrate our. Um, our engagement in this community for as long as we've been around, and we want businesses and, and community members to be involved in that. So what we're hoping to do is have have a nice um, mix of different things that go on throughout the year and different ways for people to engage with us. So hadn't thought about a parade yet, but I'll keep you posted, Ray. I might need some committee members. So I'm going to put in a plug for a zoo parade. You're going to have all the kids come and dress up as their favorite animal or animal masks, and that would be a real hoot and have them march around. Well, we no do that. Intended, we we do that if in in a very. So, have you heard of? But you asked earlier if we were still doing boo at the zoo. Boo at the zoo, I've heard about before. So we do Halloween baby boo, and I will tell you that part of baby boo, which is for the, the you know our, our littler um, guests, and um, there is a parade of co- of costumes, and I will tell you that oftentimes Keith, fifty percent to sixty percent are animal costumes. Yes. So we may ha- already have that in somewhat. Shape, size, form, <laughs> happening. I, I wasn't talking about myself. I was just talking about other people, like kids. I was thinking Grand Marshal. You, of course, you would have to be in garb. That's right. No, I, um, I have my talents, but that's not one of them. <laughs> well, we are talking with uh, Keith Lovett, who's the zoo director, and um, you were at the Palm Beach Zoo before mm-hmm. for a long time. You were yeah. 14 years at the Palm Beach Zoo yes. in Florida, and you've had a very interesting background. Um, I understand that uh, Keith is also an international leader in maintaining certain, uh, I guess, is, is this a typo? Is this stud books? Is that correct? Stud books. That's, that's <laughs> the action. No typo. Stud books and chairing the taxon committee. Now, you know, taxon is um, the science of classifying mm-hmm. animals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what are stud books? So, and a lot of people don't realize this, that the amount of science that goes into um, uh, managing a zoo, um, it's more than just, you know, oh, we're going to get these animals, we're going to put them on display. Um, Buttonwood Park Zoo is one of only 230 accredited zoos and aquariums in all of North America. And when you consider there's about 3,000 licensed facility, that puts us in the top 78% of all zoos and aquariums in the entire country. That's impressive. It's incredibly impressive. And the amount of work and standards you have to meet in, rego- in order to get that accreditation is, you know, it's a real feather in the cap of the zoo. With that, of those 230 institutions, there are species survival plans. There are a lot of breeding programs that are really managed um, based on genetics. So anytime you are breeding a species, you're focusing on the genetics of them. You want to maximize the genetic diversity because you're going to have a more robust population that can fight off disease, can fight off illness, and can fight off breeding issues that may happen from a more related population. Long story short, I work on the national and international level with some of these species where I am considered the leader for these species, and I manage these species not only for zoos in this country, but zoos across the world. So I'm regularly on international 
international calls, providing my expertise on various types of taxa. In this case, a lot of times it's New World monkeys, waterfowl, some carnivore species. So that's something I do on the side in addition to my day job. Well, um, at, at the risk of embarrassing you in the mm-hmm. studio here, I just want to say that's incredibly impressive. Thank um, you. And, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago we had folks on to talk about the uh, Grand Panorama at the Whalen Museum. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that people in, in New Bedford and in, in greater New Bedford simply don't appreciate the quality of what we have for resources, for education, for teaching, for fun. Yep. Uh, from the Whalen Museum to the Buttonwood Park Zoo, um, it's amazing. I, as I said, I was I was really super impressed with the quality of the zoo when I went back there. And I think you know I, whether the community takes it for granted. I think a lot of people don't realize because they grew up with the zoo. It is rare that a city of New Bedford's size and demographics would have an accredited zoo within its city boundaries. Mm. You don't have a huge metro population, at least in context to large metropolitan areas. You don't have a large tourism area. So to be able to have this high-quality zoo in a relatively small city, it's actually quite rare, and it's something the community, they do appreciate, but I think they could appreciate even more um, across the city. We're going to come back in just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, after taking a short break. We're meeting with Keith Lovett, who's the zoo director, and Paula Montgomery, who's involved with the Zoological Society, and she's the director of community engagement and capital campaign. We are going to talk about the capital campaign as well. But we have some other interesting animal stories to share with you. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back to MoneyWise, ladies and gentlemen, brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. Give us a call at 508-998-8858, and we'll be happy to help provide some information that will be useful for your retirement, your family's retirement, or taking care of your family. That's what we're all about. Today we have a special program. We're talking about the Buttonwood Park Zoo, and it's really a treat for me to have uh, Paula Montgomery, who is the Director of Community Engagement in the Capital Campaign for the New Bedford Zoological Society, and Keith Lovett, who is the Zoo Director. Um, and I just have to say uh, once again, and we'll repeat this a little bit at the end, uh, we have some really talented people in New Bedford. I have a quick question to ask, um, and I don't know the answer, so I don't like to ask questions if I don't know ahead of time. Can you bring a picnic and go to the zoo? Do you allow food in there, or do you discourage food because it gets to the animals? No, it's not even – well, usually we have we have policies that you cannot feed the animals. We have certain areas in the zoo that you can feed the animals with specialized food that we provide. Okay. Um, we, in general, we are very loose about people bringing in uh, food to, to the zoo. So people – we don't encourage full picnics just because of the pure busyness of the zoo and the grounds. Um, we do have our own um, restaurant service, a restaurant at the zoo as well to – um, I ate there. It was good. Bear, Bear Den Cafe. Um, but we're not exactly checking bags when people come in either. So it's a combination of some people bringing in small meals, but they also um, use the cafe as well. And there's a carousel there. Mm-hmm. And I rode on the carousel with my six-year-old grandson. Mm-hmm. I had a stationary horse, and he had one that went up <laughs> and down. <laughs> but it was fun anyway. Um, and what's the history of the carousel? How long has that been there? 
Um, that's been there a little over a decade now. Um, it is obviously meant to look much more historical than it actually is. In that carousel, there's a few companies across the country that um, make them, and it's actually focused on the species we have in the zoo. So instead of it just being horses, and there are some horses on there, we have eagles, and we have some of the species, bears, and some of the species that you will see um, around the zoo. So we really focused on a carousel, at least the animals in the carousel, that represent the animals that you will see when you're visiting the zoo. And if you have uh, younger children, there's also a little train that goes around. Absolutely. Very popular. Yeah, I'm sure that is. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's all included in the membership, right? That's included in the membership. The ticket prices are additional um, for the train okay. and, and the carousel. We, one of the, a lot of people don't realize is just how affordable the zoo is. Um, but the train and carousel, we have an additional charge just for um, fundraising purposes. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what the charges are uh, just very briefly. I think I paid $10 as a senior to go in. Into the zoo? Yes. Yes, so we do have we do have two rates because, again, we are a, a city asset. We do have the resident rate to get into the zoo of mm-hmm. $7.50 for an adult, and then we have a non-resident, which is $10. Um, and we do offer a resident and a non-resident rate for, for children and seniors as well. And student discount as well. And student discount as well, absolutely. So we do, as Keith mentioned, the zoo is incredibly affordable. You know, you, uh, Ray, you mentioned earlier, and you purchased right here on, on air, a family membership for your son and his family. And the family membership for a family, two adults and four children, is for a non-resident is $75 for the year. Right. That's so very reasonable. Ex- exactly. That's for a whole year. For an entire year, of, and we are open 362 days mm-hmm. of the year. So it, it is something that you can do all year round with, with your family and, um, and come in and enjoy. We also have programming that takes place during the day for, um, for the mommies, mommy and me groups that are not in school yet. So there's a lot happening, and um, it makes that membership that much more valuable. And I think it's great because it is such an affordable asset. And once you have the membership, whereas if you're planning to go into Museum of Science, which are great institutions, or even Roger Williams Park Zoo, which are larger organizations, you're planning the day. Okay, this is mm-hmm. what I'm going to take. This is everything it's going to take. Am sure. I, how much? Where's nap time? What have you? Some of our members, they go, hey, we're picking the kids up after school. Let's go to the zoo for an hour. Or I have an hour to kill waiting for something in the, on the Saturday. Let's go visit the zoo. And you have people who are coming to the zoo every day sometimes, um, at least during the um, warmer months, and they really take advantage of the fact that they can come in and out of the zoo anytime with that membership. The, the other thing, Ray, is um, because we are an AZA-accredited facility, as Keith had mentioned, we also can offer reciprocal benefits mm. at many zoos and aquariums around the country. Oh, interesting. So mm. in those reciprocal benefits could be 50% off your admission or up to 100% off your admission. So so not just do you have access to the Buttonwood Park Zoo through your membership, you have access to many other facilities throughout the country. Well, you know, we have some really talented people here in the studio with us this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, Paula has received, for example, her MPA, which is a Master of Public Administration, I believe, right? Yes, it is. From uh, Ridgewater State University. Uh, and she received her undergraduate degrees from Emerson College and Bristol Community College in Communications and Broadcast Journalism. I was also interested in the fact that um, you're involved with other nonprofit organizations. You're on the, you have served on the board of directors of the Fundraising Professionals in Rhode Island chapter for three years. And you also were a co-organizer of the TEDx New Bedford Talks in 2016. And those are really lots of fun. If you ever have a chance to see them, uh, there was one at the Zyterian recently, but I, 
I couldn't get to that one myself. They're, it's coming up again in November. Is it? I believe so. I definitely want to look for that. The TEDx talks are really fascinating. Paula, you're also in charge of the uh, Zoological Society's capital campaign, and I'm very impressed that you have a goal of raising $25 million. We do. So um, one of the things that we in, – in August of 2016 – the zoo and the zoological society rolled out a, um, a master plan to completely redevelop our entire seven-acre campus over the next 12 to 15 years. And did you work on that also, Paula and Keith, both yes. of you? Keith, Keith was heavily involved in the design of the master plan. I came on board after the master plan was approved um, but was involved in the rollout of it. I get to design and share my vision of what the zoo should be, and then Paul get Paul get and the board, yeah, Paul <laughs> and the board of directors get to raise the money for uh, it as well. So it works That's, out great for me. Yes. That's good. Where do you get your money from from the for the capital campaign? Who donates? So as Keith just mentioned, this is really we do have an incredible board of directors, a very active board of directors that supports the work of the Zoological Society, and they are partners in this capital campaign with us. There's there's no way our small staff um, could really manage all we do on a day-to-day basis as well as taking on a capital campaign of $25 million. So um, our board are heavily involved in cultivation and solicitation of um, private donations as well as helping with the support of grant writing to support the capital campaign. We have been very fortunate um, that the business community, particularly the banking community, has been incredibly supportive of the master plan and the redevelopment of the zoo. Um, Bristol County Savings Bank has contributed $300,000 towards our Nature Connection Education Center, mm. which we will be um, starting the work on that this fall. Um, Bay Coast Bank is the uh, lead funder of our Animal Ambassador Building, which will also hopefully go into construction this fall. Um, Stoico First Fed, the building that we've been talking about, Rainforest Rivers and Reefs, provided the largest um, to date gift <laughs> to the Zoological Society Um and, and is the lead funder of Rainforest Rivers and Reefs. So we have been incredibly fortunate that the banks have seen have seen Keith's vision that he just talked about and have um, have really stepped up to be part of our our redevelopment and and the future of the zoo. And then there's an enormous plug to the mayor's office and the city council who also provide uh, capital improvement plan funding. Again, city asset, all the buildings are um, owned by the city. They are really um, supportive of the master plan as well. And we honestly, um, it ends up being about a 50-50 match with the city, but we would not be able to do it without the support of Mm -hmm. the mayor's office and the city council. Well, it takes a lot of uh, vision, doesn't it, from both the mayor and the city council Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure this happens. I was also impressed when I went to the zoo recently to see Charlie's nature play. And there was some good little brochures at the entrance when I went in. And I didn't know what it was, but um, I have known in the past, not terribly well, but I've known Charlie Winterhalter. And he unfortunately died at the age of 44. And uh, his family has helped to create this wonderful children's project. It's called Charlie's Charlie's Nature Play. Is that what it's called? Charlie's mm-hmm. Nature Play? And it's a special little area. And I happened to see the article that was in the paper after we had already talked about doing a show. On Sunday, August 19th, there was a nice story in the paper about this. And the Buttonwood Park Zoo officially dedicated this little wonderful area. And it was funded by uh, Charlie Winterhalter's family in his memory. And could you describe that just a little bit, what people could do in there? Sure. I mean, so I talked a little bit earlier about the urbanization of America. And 
it goes beyond that. I think any parent or grandparent in this day and age probably has some level of frustration with the amount of time their children, grandchildren spend in front of type of some type in front of some type of digital screen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are alarming statistics that show that the amount of time that children spend outside in nature, particularly in unstructured play, are minimum. It can be anywhere from a few minutes a day to no more than a half an hour a day, whereas they can spend anywhere from four, five, six, seven hours a day in front in front of some type of digital screen. Um, you have a lot of different issues where parents feel unsafe letting their children play in their neighborhoods and what have you. It's a stranger danger, whatever it may be. But there's a different lifestyle than when older adults, when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. So we have created this nature play area at the zoo that is really focused on not only allowing children to get outside play in nature, but to also do unstructured exploratory play. We don't have – when we go into nature play, we don't want to say, okay, this area, you need to do this, and you need to do this here. And no, 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 you're playing with that toy wrong. We want exploration. So we give a lot of raw materials. We give water features that they can play with. But they have the ability to dam up that water feature, much to the chagrin of some of the parents. They'll make a mess, make mud and everything else. We have digging areas. We have planting areas. We have musical areas. And the whole idea isn't just to get children outside but to really – let them use their imagination and what they're able to create trust me is far better than anything we could create for them and it's been really great opportunity for these children to really get out and use their imagination well it's it's an absolutely wonderful tribute to the memory of charlie winterhalter and i guess it's his family and his friends who raised the funds that helped create that so a big thank you to them because uh, it's a very impressive addition to the zoo. And I think the greatest part of that is um, we always strive to make quality experiences at the zoo. But mm-hmm. the joy from the family when they saw the completed project and what it was allowing for uh, children in the community, it's just their happiness, the smiles on their face was all worth all the effort that went into making this a quality space. Well, it's a, it's a living memory, that's for sure. Um, You've probably heard of Nicole Kidman, an uh, actress. She said, I love acting, but it's much more fun taking the kids to the zoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's a quotation. You should invite her in. <laughs> 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 um, I want to say, um, I want to ask a question, actually. Um, what do you do by way of educational programs? Do teachers bring classrooms to the, to the zoo, for example, and take them through to show them things? So, and when I'm talking about the zoo, and this literally goes back to the vision when, when I started about five and a half years ago. The Bundlewood Park Zoo is actually a small zoo. It's one of the smaller zoos in the country. It's only about a seven-acre zoo. And we will never have the largest animal population in the zoo. We will never have the largest attendance zoo. But it doesn't mean that we can't be a very important zoo. And a lot of our mission, a lot of our programmatic emphasis is on our education programs. And we literally do programs from everything from preschool, and sometimes even younger than that, preschool all the way up to graduate level college. So we have programs that basically cater to all children and young adults and even adults for the matter. We cater to adult programs. We work in nursing homes. So we are a full-service educator in the community. And I'm proud to say that a lot of our environmental education programs are regional leaders and some of the best environmental education programs you're going to find in the region. What are the general hours of the zoo if somebody wants to visit? So in the summertime, we are, so from March 1st through October 31st, we go, we run from 9 
a.m. to 5 p.m. Okay. We do lock the, the last entrances at 4.15 because we do want to make sure that if people are paying to get into the zoo that they have at least 45 minutes to explore the zoo and, and get their money's worth. Mm-hmm. We are a small zoo, as Keith has mentioned a few times, and as you know. So 45 minutes is, is, a, is an, enough time for folks to get around. Um, in the wintertime from November 1st, we do shift to our winter hours, which are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay, because of the darkness, obviously. Yes. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, again, if you haven't been to the zoo for a while, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to visit. And if you haven't become a member, you need to become a member. I was very interested to read some of the things that have happened just recently. For example, we were talking earlier about Bernardo the Sloth. I guess he just arrived recently, just this year. Yes, he's arrived in the last six, seven months, I believe. Okay. Um, And then you also had a... A monkey birth at Buttonwood Park Zoo in 2018, mm-hmm. August 9th. Um, uh, the how do you pronounce this? Geldies. Geldy. The Geldies monkey family mm-hmm. has grown again. Ava, age six, gave birth to her fifth offspring in August. Mm-hmm. That must be an exciting time at the zoo. Yeah, so when, since we've opened Rainforest Rivers and Reefs in July of 2017, we've had three primate births at the zoo. In addition to this Geldies monkey that was just born, we had one born um, last year or about six months ago as well, and we also had a TT monkey born as well. So we're very excited. And it's not only excited because obviously baby monkeys are cute and people enjoy them. This is part of a genetic breeding program. This is part of a conservation program of this vulnerable species that's found in in the western Amazon. So not only are we having these experiences at the zoo where people can see these young primates, this is, has a conservation purpose as well. Well, one of the things I was um, interested to read when I was doing some research and preparing for this show is how important the role of zoos is in conservation. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of animals that simply go extinct every year. Yes. And one of the real purposes of zoos, um, besides just providing entertainment to the public and education, is conservation. Absolutely. And there's a couple of different ways you can do it. There's in situ and ex situ conservation. In situ is when you're doing conservation in the wild. Um, and I'm very proud that the zoo is very much involved in conservation of not only species locally. We do a lot with butterfly species and some of the um, native mammal species and reptile species. But we're also working on a global scale, helping down in the forests of South America, helping with Asian elephants in Vietnam. So not only... Um, are we providing funding that is raised from guests of the zoo, but also providing scientific support as well. And then the other side is the ex situ side, which is basically at the zoo itself. And these are through captive breeding programs where you have a biological backup for many of these species. Some of these species can only be found in zoos now. They're not even found in the wild. And we are struggling to try to find, create habitat for them in the wild to put them back in. And in the meantime, we are keeping them safe at zoos because this is the only chance for survival. The philosopher Immanuel Kant uh, once said, we can judge the heart of a man by his treatment of animals. And that's certainly true with how we take care of the animals in the zoo, isn't it? I don't – and I've talked about the science that goes into it. There is so much science. A lot of people don't realize that we have a dedicated veterinary program at our zoo. We have a full-time veterinarian. We have veterinary technicians who work at the zoo. We have consultant veterinarians from all over the country that work with our animals. Um, we have dedicated 
keepers, all who have you know a degrees in some type of biological science, working with these animals. So there's a lot to go into. To give you a perspective of the amount of science that goes into it, this summer alone we had 25 college interns working in the animal care and veterinary care programs at the zoo, because this is what they want to dedicate their careers to, and this gives them an experience to work hands-on with these animals. And the veterinary interns in particular, we had four students come in, two from France, one from Germany, and one from India. So this has actually become an international recognize, internationally recognized program where students from around the world are coming to the Budwin Park Zoo, a small little Budwin Park Zoo in New Bedford, to learn veterinary science at the zoo. You know, before the show began this morning, ladies and gentlemen, I asked uh, uh, Keith, Keith Lovett and Paula, Paula Montgomery, I said, I've done a fair amount of research because I never like to run out of things to talk about. She said, oh, we won't run out of things to talk about. <laughs> And I think that you are correct. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many wonderful things happening at the zoo that you're hearing as well as ways for people to be engaged with us. So, yeah, we could we could go on a little bit longer, but we'll respect the amount of time that we have this morning. Well, we have about five or six minutes left before we finish today. I want to give a tax tip today, and it relates to uh, New Bedford Zoological Society. So sometimes people have to take IRAs. If you're older than 70 and a half, for example – and you have an IRA, and you're required to take minimum distributions, but you really don't need the money. You can make a contribution from your IRA after age 70 and a half. And you can give as much as $100,000 a year, but you can give money directly from your IRA. You never pick it up as income, and you get a tax deduction for it. So it goes directly to um, a very worthwhile cause. If you want more information about how to do that, give me a call at 508 998 58, and we'll be happy to give you more information. There's lots of tax tips that we have every single week. I want to give you a quotation from Abraham Lincoln. I am in favor of animal rights as well as human rights. That is the way of a whole human being, Abraham Lincoln. So people have been talking about animals for a long time. Um, zoos, including uh, Buttonwood Park Zoo, uh, perform a very critical role in conservation of species, you're helping to reproduce species, uh, monkeys that might be endangered, for example. We've had a lot of deforestation of the rainforest and Absolutely. destruction of species. So the work that you do is, is terrific, and um, you know, we appreciate it very much. Um, good zoos are at the forefront of helping to preserve animals, and that's really what defines us when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's one word in that statement is very key, good zoos. Okay. Unfortunately, there are a lot of zoos out there, and there are a lot of wonderful, amazing zoos out there as well. But there's also some pretty sketchy organizations out there as well. And I spend a lot of time talking about this as well. Sometimes zoos get lumped under the same umbrella. And there is a distinct difference between what the Budwin Park Zoo does and what a roadside menagerie is trying to do mm. as well. And one of the ways you can tell the difference is, are they accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums? That is basically a sale of approval to show that you are meeting the highest standards. And the best way I can say that is that there's a lot of restaurants out there. There are some restaurants that are absolutely attractive you really don't want to ever go to again. And there are some amazing Michelin-starred restaurants as well. The same thing with zoos. There are some high-caliber, unbelievable organizations. And unfortunately, there's some bad organization as well. So you really need to do your homework. Good comparison. Well, we are we are blessed to have uh, the Buttonwood Park Zoo in New Bedford. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been there for a while, you need to. 
Uh, Betty White, who's a very famous actress, said, people forget the good that zoos do. If it weren't for zoos, we would have so many species that would be extinct today. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. she's been a real supporter of zoos all of her life. I would say that one of my challenges is that you only have so much space in zoos. So you're trying to save all these species that are in the risk of going extinct in the wild, and you can only save so many because you have limitations on how much space you have in these zoological institutions across the country. And it's a tough decision. Sometimes you have to base that on need, and sometimes you have to base it on what a zoo is capable of doing. We know at Buttonwood Park Zoo, in our climate, there are species that are going to thrive, and there's other species we are not well-suited to. And that is a modern zoo to really be... um, focus on those species they can do well Mm. well paula you have a a very daunting task ahead of you to help the zoological society raise 25 million (laughs) dollars so if somebody wants to contribute make a contribution how would they get in touch with you absolutely i mean there's there's lots of ways for folks to to be involved obviously reaching out to me personally at the zoo to have a conversation to have a tour to listen and hear all of that that's happening at the zoo um, I can be reached at the Zoological Society's phone number, which is 508-991-4556. And, of course, email is always a great way to, to get the conversation going as well, which is pmontgomery at bpzoo.org. And, you know, we talk about tax, tax um, benefits of, of making charitable donations, and um, people have donated stock to us in order to receive those tax benefits. Mm-hmm. We know that the stock market is, is it, it, it goes up and it goes down, but people have had some pretty good success lately. And, um, and we'd love for folks to consider the zoo when they start to think about how they want to um, donate, especially as we come into the fall and the end of the year giving season, um, and to really understand that what we're doing at the zoo is, is so much related to um, the, the community, how we're engaging the community, the work on conservation and animal preservation and, and education, and there's just so much happening there that I think it feeds the soul of lots of people in their charitable giving. Well, we're thrilled to have you with us this morning. Visit the zoo. Visit the website, bpzoo.org. Uh, donate appreciated stock. It's a great way to get rid of appreciated stock without having to pay capital gains tax and still get a deduction. A very special thank you to Keith Lovett, Zoo Director, and to Paula Montgomery, who's our Director of Capital Campaign. And uh, are you actually the Director of the Zoological Society also, or you just work with it? It's it's a mixed it's, combo. It's, 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 combo. <laughs> it's, a, it's a growing institution, you know. It, I think um, Paula's title is a little bit limited. She is overseeing so much of the zoological operation. Thank you for being with us. See you again next week on the radio.